Brother, we're not, a, we're, we're not a church that's afraid to clap. A lot of us just don't know how to clap in time, so you're not going to have a lot of clapping going on. Uh, that, that's all right, praise the Lord. But uh, I know I'm not afraid to make a fool of myself and yell out and holler out. And Ecclesiastes chapter 8, we're going to start there in verse 6. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 6. The Bible says here, uh, Sol- this is Solomon writing in his old age. And I, I've heard some preachers say that, you know, uh, Ecclesiastes is Solomon, he's bitter, and he's, 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 he's kind of, you know, everything's come to an end, and everything's vanity, and, and, and maybe I'm an old man too, but I, I understand exactly where Solomon's talking about here. And I think if, you're going, if you want the whole truth, look at an old man's life, and let, listen, to, listen to the old-timers. The old-timers tell you how it really is. And that, that's what uh, encourages me is, and sometimes discourages me when I ask old-timers, some old-timers will say, well, does that... That, that temptation to sin, does that get any easier? If we talk about some certain sin and they'll just, no, <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, that's not an encouragement to me. I mean, it's a Solomon type of attitude. It's like, let me tell you how it really is. And that's what we all want. But here at Solomon, he's writing and he tells us something very important. He says, because to every purpose there is time and judgment, therefore the misery of man is great upon him. The misery of man is great upon him. For he knoweth not that which shall be, For who can tell him when it shall be? There is no man that hath power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit. Neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. Now I want to go back up to verse 6. And I want to focus on verse 6 where he says, Because every purpose there is time and judgment. And I want to focus on where he says, Therefore the misery of man is great upon him. And I want to preach this morning on the simple solution to misery. There's a very simple solution to misery. But first we need to understand what misery is and how men become miserable. And then I'm going to give you the solution to that misery. How to get out of that misery. So the question is asked, what is misery then? We need to define what, before we find out a solution for misery, you know, we need to know what misery is. When misery is defined as a state or a feeling of great distress or discomfort, or just of body and mind. It's just a discomfort. Uh, the opposite of, of misery is happiness. Misery is unhappiness. And the Bible says here, because to every purpose there is time and judgment, therefore the misery of man is great upon him. There's a time that man's going to get judged. And that makes him miserable. Now, he might not be able to pinpoint that, and that's why I'm here preaching. This is why God has preachers. This is why we preach the Word. It's because man don't realize why he's so miserable. But the Bible says, I'll tell you why you're miserable. is because there's a judgment coming, and you're miserable, and that makes you miserable. And here's another thing that makes a man miserable. Verse 7, for he knoweth not that which shall be. For who can tell him when it shall be? The point is, is judgment's coming. Death is coming. And you don't have any idea when it's going to take place. Nobody can tell you. Nobody can tell you. And verse 8 tells us that there is no man that hath power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit. There's no man that can keep himself from dying. When God gets ready to take you, when your number is is pulled, and God's ready to, to take you out of this world, you're going to be took. And you can run and hide. You can do like Jonah and go get on a ship and then j- throw yourself off and think, well, I'll just kill myself out here because you know, that was Jonah's plan. Jonah said, just throw me overboard and he's just going to kill himself. He'll just drown himself. Jonah said, I'll get away from God. I'm mad at God. I'll just drown myself. And God had another plan. <laughs> God said, no, I'm not ready for you to die yet. 
There's been men I know who've tried to commit suicide and had the gun right where it's supposed to be, pull the trigger, and all it does is cripple them. Cripple them. They don't kill themselves. When God's ready to take you, He'll take you. And you have no power over that. And let me tell you something. That makes men miserable. That makes men miserable. Not knowing when they're going to die. And the fear, misery, is, comes from the fear of death. Amen. The fear of the unknown. Verse 7. For he knoweth not that which shall be. You don't know. And the fear of unknown, the fear of anything, makes a man miserable. Uh, I, I have a friend of mine that's, that's dealing with uh, having to go get some tests run. He don't know if he has cancer or not. And he told me, well, I'm not going to go get those tests run. I don't believe I have cancer. And I pulled him to the side and I said, let me, let me tell you something, man. I'm not, I'm not telling you what to do. You know, you're, you're a grown man, but let me tell you something. To me, personally, the fear of not knowing if I have it or not, that's almost as bad as having the cancer itself. It's the unknown. It's always wondering. It's always, it's in the back of your mind. It's wake you up in the middle of the night. And that's what's going on in lost men and women's lives. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're waking up wondering what's, death is coming. And you'll, you'll see something, you'll see something on TV, or you'll see somebody close to you die, and it, it wakes you up, and it makes you start thinking, hey, death's just around the corner. What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? What, is there judgment coming? And these questions come to you, and the Bible says, that's why you're miserable. You know, the interesting thing about Solomon, he said it's more important. And he goes on and talks about this. He says it's, it says it's, it's, it's more important for you to go down. He basically, I'm paraphrasing. He says more important for you to go to a funeral than to go to a party. That's totally opposite of what the world thinks. Oh, it's important to go to these parties, and I don't go to funerals. And the Bible says, and Solomon says here in Ecclesiastes, he says you need to go to funerals. And you know why? He says because that's the end of all men. And he'll lay it to his heart. In other words, when a man goes to a funeral, he says, one day that's going to meet me in that casket. What then? That makes men most miserable. They have no control over death. That makes men miserable. And that's what I think is kind of comical about the world. The world gives men entertainment. The world gives men and women all kinds of ways to commit sin and to drown out their... They, sometimes they'll drown this out in drugs or alcohol or entertainment or uh, hard work or, or, or philosophy or some kind of false religion. The world has all these different ways to try to drown out that misery. But deep down it's still there. It, it's still there. It's still nagging. It's this, it's this elephant in the room. It's the dark cloud that follows you. It's that little, that little sense of doubt, that misery, that misery. There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. Neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in, verse, verse 8 says, there is no discharge in that war. What does that mean when he says there's no discharge, discharge in that war? What Solomon's saying there is he's saying, Everybody's going to fight this battle. There's no discharge. In other words, you can't say, there's a war. Well, I'm discharged from that war. I don't have to go to war. I don't have, no. This, this battle that you're going to face going up towards death, everybody's going to face it. Everybody has this battle. And what's, uh, what's really shocking to me living on this earth is how you never know when it's coming. I've had people die around me that were 14 years old. I've had people die around me that are 18. I've had them die around me in their 90s. I don't know when God's going to take you. But God is going to take you. Amen. Death is sure. There's no doubt about it. And there's no way to discharge that. 
This death is a war and everyone's going to have to fight it. And it says there at the verse, end of verse 8, Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. Your wicked lifestyle, your wicked way of thinking, your wicked way of living in the world, any kind of wicked religion you come up with, and we were talking about this guy that claims he's a Satanist that goes to the church of Satan, all these wicked devices you come up for, with, they're not going to save you. They're not going to deliver you. So the truth is, beyond a shadow of a doubt, death will make you miserable. Either the death of a loved one will make you miserable, or your own death Knowing it's coming is going to make you miserable. Turn to Job. Turn back a couple of pages. Turn to Job chapter 16. Let me show you something else about misery. Let me show you something else about misery. Job chapter 16. Job chapter 16. And this is something I found out as a, as a minister of the Word of God. It's kind of scary for me. Job chapter 16 verse 1. Job chapter 16, verse 1. Come over here and look what Job... Now, Job, you got to remember, Job's in a tight spot. Yep. Man, Job's been attacked by the devil, run through the stringer, kids have been killed, all his property's been destroyed. I mean, Job's just in a really tight spot. And then on top of that, Job's own health has just completely been... just went down into the dumps. He's down there uh, completely from head to foot. Covered in sores. Now here comes his friends. We all have these kind of friends. And they start talking to Job. And they start telling Job, you must have done something wrong. God doesn't work this way. God just doesn't bring evil upon somebody unless they've done something wrong. And his friends start telling him all, giving him all this advice. And look what Job says here in Job chapter 16. After, after they get through talking, look what he says. Then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are ye all. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know what he says right there? He says, man, y'all are no good. Y'all are not helping me out one bit. Shall vain words have an end, or what emboldeth thee that thou answerest? You're giving me vain words, and you're miserable comforter. So that's the next thing you need to know about misery. Death, we know the first thing is, is death, death, the upcoming death, knowing your death is coming and judgment's coming, might be coming. Some people think it might be, but it will be. But your death is coming. It's going to bring you. It's going to make you miserable. You're going to be miserable. You can't explain it. You're going to try to drown it out. And let me tell you something. The next thing we know here, according to Job chapter sixteen verse two, is you're going to have your friends in the world are miserable comforters. Miserable. They won't give you any kind of comfort. I'll give you an example of that. People will lie to you. That shouldn't surprise you, right? Amen? People will lie to you. This is why, I, I, and it's almost comical, but it's not. I hear people, uh, they get, that something really bad happens in their life, and I, I heard, I've been there when somebody walks up and say, everything's going to be all right. It's not going to be all right. You're going to be okay. You're not going to be okay. There's time, that's what I had to learn as a minister. There's times where the Lord has sent me into, into houses where people are about to die. And there people, the Lord sent me into situations that there's no way to fix it. And I'm thinking, what, what, I mean, I literally am praying to God, like, what do you want me to say? I mean, what do I do? I, I, I mean, do, and there's early in my ministry in the Lord, there would be times when I would lie. God forbid I would lie. I'd tell them stuff just because I think that's what they want to hear. I was a miserable comforter. 
Because you know what man knows deep in his heart? I'm not going to be all right. You'll be in my thoughts. My thoughts go out to you. What kind of nonsense is that? That's something the world has picked up. You heard that? Yeah. The world's picked that up. Uh, my, my thoughts go out to you. What do your thoughts do for me? What are you over there going, you know, I'm sending you good thoughts. I'm sending you good thoughts. What does good thoughts, why don't you send me some thoughts of a million dollars or something? Why, don't you, why haven't you been doing that for me? What are your good thoughts going to, thoughts mean nothing. Your thoughts mean, the world picked that up, and they're stupid. They're miserable comforters. Now, when somebody comes up to me and says, hey, brother, I can see you're going through trouble, I'm going to pray for you. That means something to me. Hey, somebody's reaching out to God. God's the only one that can fix this. I appreciate you doing that for me. Thank you for your prayers. But don't mention me in your thoughts. That's the stupidest, nonsensical thing. People don't think. They're miserable comforters. They're not thinking about what they're saying. They don't think. They don't know. They're just trying to, just trying to comfort you. And there's no comfort Amen. when you're that miserable. When I've gone through the things I've gone through in my life, I've told people that have called me up and said, well, let me, let me take you out. I was in total misery. And they come up to me and they said, well, let me take you out. I'm going to take you out. We're going to go up to Dallas. And I'm going to take you out. We're going to go uh, do some shopping. I'm going to do this, that, and other. And I was like, I don't want to go. I'm miserable. I don't want to go. And they said, you need to get out of the house. I said, I don't want to go. And they kept badgering me. And I said, let me tell you. You can take me, and you can fly me to the other side of the world. You can fly me over to Japan, and you can put me by myself, and I'm going to be just as miserable as I was right now. I'm miserable. I, the, the problem is me. I can't escape this mind. It's, it's not shutting off. It's not shutting off. And I had a, I had a psychologist tell me, uh, this, uh, he's a counselor. He told me, he said, what you got to do is you got to take the bad thoughts and push, and he'd do this with his fingers like this. He said, you got to take the bad thoughts, you got to push them out, and then you, you got to push the good thoughts in. How do you do that? That's miserable. I was not, that, that don't work. I mean, I, I'm like, okay, 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 I, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. I and mean, what kind of nonsense is that? I, no, it don't work. None of this stuff works. The reason why I'm preaching with authority about this is because I've been there, man. I've been miserable. I've had misery, and there's no escape. And the world that we live in is a miserable comforter. Why do you think we have so many people that are drunks, hooked on drugs, down into the sexual perverted lifestyle that we have these people living in? Why do we think we have a world full of drunks? That they, the world thinks you can't have fun unless you're drinking. You can't have fun unless you're popping a pill. You, the world is full of this stuff because we got the world is full of miserable people that have no way, they have no idea, no way to comfort themselves. Amen. So they just try to drown it out like Jonah. I'll just drown myself. God's not going to let you do it. Amen. God's not going to let you do it. He loves you too much to let you do that. He loves you too much to let you not have a chance. The world is miserable comforters. And one of my favorite things, I read this years ago, and I like to read it to you all once in a while, is that uh, Sir Francis Newport. Sir Francis Newport was an infidel. He's an atheist. He hated Christians. He made fun of Christianity. He, he taught against Christianity. And he had a little club he made. He called it the Infidel Club. Oh, I hate Christians. And he got together. Well, he was on his deathbed. So all his friends came around, all his other atheist friends, and they're around his deathbed, and they're, saying, they're telling him, it's like you know the world's going to do. Hey, man, everything's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. Every, you, you know, everything's going to be okay. And this is what he told them. 
You need not tell me there is no God, for I know there is one. And that I am in his angry presence. Wow. That's what this guy, this atheist said on his deathbed. Listen to what he goes, he goes on. You need not tell me there is no hell, for I already feel my soul slipping into its fires. Wretches, this is what he said. This is his closing words on his deathbed. Wretches, cease your idle talk about there being hope for me. I know I am lost forever. What a miserable way to die. What a miserable way to die. What makes the world so miserable is because they have no comfort for the other side of death. Amen. Nobody can give them an answer. And that includes all the religious leaders they like to prop up. They like to take all these different religious leaders and they like to prop them up next to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And they don't add up. What do I mean by that is, they want to prop up and say, Muhammad, what's going to happen on the other side? Well, Muhammad's in the grave, dead. Buddha, what, what, what about on the, when I die? What's going to happen to me when I die? Buddha is dead. You go to a pope. You go to any other religious leader. You go to Joseph Smith. You, just, you name them. There's only been one that died and came back and said, I'm alive forevermore. I've got eternal life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man coming to the Father but by me. There's only been one of those guys. So you can follow your Muhammads or your Buddhas. You can follow all your different religious teachings. You can follow your science, and science can't help you at all. Scientific fact cannot help you at all. But there's one man in history that did it. And he said, if you'll believe in me, I'll give you this gift of eternal life. Now we're getting to the crux of it. The truth is, the simple solution is found in Revelation chapter 3. Look at Revelation chapter 3. I know this is a simple kind of sermon, uh, but there is people in misery. Revelation chapter 3, there's people in misery. And they need help. And what's, what's sad about it is sometimes they don't even realize why they're miserable. And I'm hoping I'm explaining to you. If you're miserable in here and you're underneath the sound of my voice and you're miserable in here and you don't know Jesus Christ, that's why. You're miserable because death is coming and it's always in the back of your mind and there's that fear of the unknown. And the simple solution is you need Jesus Christ. You've tried everything else. You've tried to go to science for an answer. They have no answer. You might have tried other different religious books, religious teachings. Uh, you might have read the Quran. You might have listened to these philosophers. These, and there's no answer. I, I know. There's no answer. I've been there. Why don't you for once just give Jesus Christ a try? It won't hurt. What's it going to hurt? L look, at, look at verse 17. Re Revelation chapter 3 verse 17. Miserable people need Jesus Christ. Now, of course, this is Jesus Christ, and he's actually talking to the church here. He's not talking to the lost. He's talking to the church. But what, I'm going to apply it to the lost. I'm going to apply it to the church. I'm going to apply it to, to everybody. But if you're in here, this is what you need. He said, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods. 
You're here, maybe you're in here and you're an American and you say, you know, I've got, I've got my car, I've got two cars in the driveway, I've got a really nice house, I've got a good job, and uh, I've got money in the bank, and I, get to, I could go wherever I want to go, and I'm going to be honest with you, preacher, I'm miserable. Well, maybe you're buying things you don't need with money you don't have for, to impress people you don't like. You ever thought about that? Maybe you're buying things that you don't need Honestly, we know this. I mean, we, we, uh, me and Mike, we work at, 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 at and, and joke, we work at this uh, uh, company that they don't pay us very well. But we all know that if we went to a company that paid us twice what we made, you know how we would live? We'd live on twice of that money. We'd have a jet ski instead of, instead of one boat. We'd have a jet ski instead of one jet ski. We'd have two jet skis. Just, you're, just, you're just buying things you don't need with money you don't have, sometimes using it on credit, Amen. To try to impress people you don't even like. Amen. Drive around in this real nice car. I mean, you can't just go buy you a, a, a car. It's got to be the best car. It, 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 it can't be just a truck. It's got to be the best truck. And you're, whatever it is, and you're spending all this money to impress people. You don't even like them. <laughs> you try to impress people you don't even like. That's the world right there. And don't tell me you're not doing stuff to impress people. You can lie to your mom, but don't lie to me. Because I know how people think. That's how people act. They do stuff to try to impress people, right? Try to impress people with their clothes. Try to impress people with the car. Try to impress people with their house. Try to impress people with this. Look at this fancy gun I got. Whatever. You could just name it. That's how we are. That's just in our nature. And have need of nothing. Oh, I'm, I'm rich. I need of nothing. And, know and Jesus says, you know what? Knowest not thou that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Amen. In God's eyes, spiritually, you're all those things. Amen. In Jesus Christ's eyes, you're wretched. You're miserable and you're poor. And you're blind and you're naked. Amen. That's what the world do to you. The world will blind you through Satan. They'll blind you to where you'll never see it coming. And he'll, he'll blind you into thinking that, I know you're miserable right now. And I'm going to stamp that out with entertainment, with, with drugs, with alcohol, with sex, with, with work, hard work. I'm going to drown out that misery you got. I'm, going to get, I'm just going to pile all this stuff on you and, you. and I'm going to make that be shoved at the back of your mind. And I'm going to blind you to the truth that... Death can happen at any moment. Amen. Nobody, and I mean nobody, and you know this to be truth, I don't care if you're an atheist or you're a Christian, nobody can guarantee you tomorrow. Amen. Uh, some of y'all don't know my testimony. I've got some people in here visiting. When I was about 14 years old, I had a friend that was my age. I was on the telephone with him. I was talking to him, and he, there was a sawed-off shotgun there. Joker knows this story. I was on the phone with him, and he pushed that shotgun, that sawed-off shotgun away from him. That shotgun went off, shot him in the stomach, and killed him while I was on the phone with him right there. I don't know what's going to happen to you in your life. But I can tell you this, I've had them die around me at an early age. So if you're in here thinking, well, I'll just wait till tomorrow, tomorrow might not come. There's a guy that a, we, a preacher friend of mine knew this guy, and he kept witnessing to this guy, and he kept telling him, "You need to, G, you need Jesus Christ. You know, you need to receive Jesus Christ." 
and there's a Spanish guy, and he says, oh, I'm too busy, for, I'm too young for that nonsense. When I get older, I'll settle down. And about two weeks later, that guy was in his swimming pool, one of those above-ground swimming pools, and he was he's up there, and he's vacuuming it out like you do. And his family said that he, was, he, he pulled that cord, and he had that at the edge of that pool, he had that thing set up. And they said when he pulled that cord, he knew instantly what he had done. And he looked back, and that pump fell in the pool, killed him just like that, electrocuted him. Tomorrow, that's for tomorrow. I'm too young, I'm too young to work. Tomorrow might not come. And Jesus Christ wants to remind you you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Nobody wants to be wretched. Nobody wants to be miserable. Nobody wants to be poor. Nobody wants to be blind and naked. There's nobody in here that says there are any of those. But I wonder why Christ sees us. I wonder how many of us, because remember, Jesus Christ is not talking to the lost man here. He's talking to Christians. And he says, you know, you think, you, look, you think everything's good. You think everything looks good for you, but I don't see you that way. As one of the uh, crew chiefs up there at the city of Brownwood, we have to do these, eva- they, call them, they call them evaluations. And it, you know how good a job you're doing. Mike's had to deal with this. How, many, how good a job you're doing. And when, when you first come into the city, they got this numbering system. Like if you're doing a really, really bad job, you give yourself a one. If you think you're doing a really, really good job, you give yourself a five. I love that. Because there's nothing more funny than for somebody to come in and evaluate themselves. You know how many times I've had somebody give, give themselves a lower than a three? Not once. Everybody always gives themselves threes, fours. This had been guys come in and give themselves all fives. I'm the best there is, the best there was, the best there's ever going to be, you know. And as a boss, looking at them, I'm like Jesus Christ looking at some of you. <laughs> you don't even realize how bad you are. We, we, we tend to look at ourselves how we want to see ourselves. We don't want somebody else to come in here and tell us how we really are. You want to know how good a man, how good a man is, go ask his wife. She'll tell you the truth. Ooh, ooh, getting kind of quiet in here. <laughs> don't do that though with my wife whatever you do he says in verse 18 I counsel thee to buy me gold tried and fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the, sh- the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see and as many as I love I rebuke and chasten be zealous therefore and repent be zealous to get right with God be zealous to get right with Jesus Christ have a zeal and repent. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need Jesus Christ. Amen. Misery loves company. The world loves each other. Misery loves company. But misery needs Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's the only cure. That's the only solution. You know, the opposite, the opposite of misery is happiness and peace. And you see Sister Colleen who's dealing with all the stuff she's dealing with with her cancer. And my sister, my, my, my sister who's dealing with four, stage 4 cancer, all the stuff. And when I talk to them, when I talk to them on the phone or I talk to her at the church, you know what I hear? There's happiness, there's joy, there's peace. And I'm going to tell you something. It makes no sense. Because they're dealing with death. Honestly, they're dealing with death. They know that death's, death's knocking. 
And Colleen comes in here. Y'all all witness it. Y'all all see it. She comes here and she smiles. She's gracious to everybody. She gives everybody hugs. If you ask her how things are going, she'll say, well, it's not going too well. I've had some trouble, but, you know, it's in Jesus Christ's hands. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. But I'm going to tell you, this isn't that Colleen is a great, strong person. It isn't that my sister, when I talk to her, is she's the strongest person I've ever met. This is a testimony of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And they'll be the first to tell you that. They'll tell you, I'm only getting through this shadow and this valley of death because of Jesus Christ. I'm not miserable. I have peace and happiness. The Bible says in Psalm 144, verse 15, happy, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. You need God as your Lord. You need Jesus Christ as your Savior. You want to be happy? You can't find happiness in this world? Come to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ promised you this. He'll give you peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Amen. That's our Lord and Savior. He said, don't be afraid. Don't let your heart trouble you. I'm going to give you peace. That's the peace you see in Colleen, Sister Colleen's life. That's the peace you see in a Christian that's dealing with death, knocking on the door. Verse 20, you need Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Death will one day, beyond a shadow of a doubt, knock on your door. Amen. It's going to. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm being honest with you. I'm just trying to be truthful with you. And when death comes knocking on that door, you know what I know about our Lord and Savior? He'll come knocking too. But see, Jesus Christ is not like death. Death is very rude. Death tends to knock when you don't want Him knocking. And when you try to ignore death, you know what death will do? It'll just open the door and come on in. And you'll try to go in the other room and death will just follow you. And you'll say, I'm not ready for you. I don't want you to come in here. I don't want, I, I, I'm not ready for you. I, it's not my time. I'm not. And death will take you. Amen. But the Savior I'm talking about, Jesus Christ, He's a gentleman. Amen. He'll knock and ask if He can come in. If any man hear my voice and open the door, he'll say, can I come in? And maybe you're in here this morning and the Lord's knocking on the door of your heart and saying, can, can I come in? Uh, he's not going to push his way through. He's going to give you the free will to receive it or reject it. But I can promise you, and if, even an atheist can promise you this, this, death will not. And it's very rude. When you have the, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ knocking on your door, you better open it and take it and receive it. It'll change your life. Now, I want to close, and I, I, I said all this about misery because I want to close with something. Turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to close with this because this is important to us Christians. Because I know some of y'all are out there, and you'll say, okay, pastor, you just admitted that you were miserable, 
and I'm putting two and two together, because you just told me you were miserable and this, that, and other, and you were living in misery, and I'm putting two and two together, and that has to have been after you were saved, and you're right. So there's some Christians in here that maybe say, Pastor, I've received Jesus Christ. I know I'm saved. But Pastor, I'm miserable. I'm just miserable. Here's one of your problems right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. Look at verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Paul says if Jesus Christ is just for this life, the life we live, you're going to be a miserable, miserable person, including a Christian. What you've forgotten, Christian, if you're miserable in here this morning, what you've forgotten, Christian, is Jesus Christ isn't for this life in this world. Jesus Christ not only is for this life, but he's mainly for that life to come. Amen. You may have been sold a bill of goods when you got saved. I don't know how you received Jesus Christ. I don't know what pastor you were on, what preacher you were under, Sunday school teacher, or how you came to Christ. And I'm not saying you didn't come to Christ. Praise the Lord, you came to Christ. But I'm, selling, I'm saying maybe you were sold a bill of goods. Maybe you were told that when you receive Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, man, everything's going to turn around. Everything's going to be great. It's a rose garden. God's going to start sending you money. You're going to financially prosper. You're going to... We've all heard it. I've heard preachers preaching this kind of stuff on TV. I've never been under a preacher like that because I'd get up and walk out. Because I know the truth. Now, we're talking about the truth, right? I'm not, don't, I'm not trying to be a miserable comforter to you. I'm not trying to lie or sweep stuff under the rug. I'm trying to just shoot it straight Amen. and tell you that when you receive Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, it's no rose garden. Amen. As a matter of fact, it's a hard life. Because see how you used to get away with all that stuff? Man, all of a sudden, you can't do that anymore. It's a while, I'll just keep, I'll just keep doing it. Yeah, go try You'll be miserable. <laughs> you know when you used to be able to go maybe to, to a bar and drink and hobnob and womanize and do those things and, do, and, and you start trying to do that again when you're a born-again Christian, there's something in you that says, that's not right, that's not right. And you'll be miserable. Amen. You'll be completely and totally miserable trying to live out in the world. And the Lord's not going to let you do it. Because see, that's not your family anymore. You're part of the family of God. You're not supposed to be acting that way. So when you became a Christian, when you received Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, it's not a rose garden. Ray Comfort. God bless Ray Comfort. He's got a ministry. And I don't agree with everything Ray Comfort teaches, but I'm telling you, he's got some stuff that's good. And he, he gave the best illustration I've ever heard given. And I, I, I'm giving him credit for this. I'm not trying to steal his stuff. I'm just going to tell you what he said because it's that good. He said the problem with evangelicals, the problem with the Christians is we try to sell Jesus Christ like somebody is, and he gives this illustration. He gives the illustration that you're on a plane, and while you're on this plane, a stewardess walks by, and somebody comes by and they say, and they say take this parachute, take this parachute, it'll make your flight better. So this person says, oh, okay, this will make my flight better. So they put this parachute on, and while they're in the plane, they put the parachute on, and of course, now they can't lean all the way back. They're kind of stumped over like this. And they start doubting it. They say, well, 
this isn't much better. As a matter of fact, this is a lot more uncomfortable than it was before I took on this parachute. And then they, they get to looking around, and the passengers are over there pointing and giggling and mocking them. Look at that guy over there with that parachute. Ain't he stupid? He's so stupid. And, you're, and the guy sits there, and after a while, he starts realizing people are mocking me. This is uncomfortable. And he just, so he just takes his parachute off, and he throws it down. Now, you got somebody else on this plane that's sitting there, and somebody comes by and says, you need to take this parachute because you're going to be thrown out of this plane. You're going to be leaving this plane, and you're going to need this parachute. So the man takes the parachute, and he puts that parachute on, and it's uncomfortable. And there's people walking down the aisle, and they're pointing and mocking at him. But that guy's got a hold of that parachute, and just grabbing a hold of it, and he's never going to let it go. And he's got peace. Because he knows, whatever is about to happen, I'm going to get saved. What's, the, what's going on here? This guy realizes that this plane is going down. And when we tell people about Jesus Christ, and we tell them, hey, receive Jesus Christ, it'll change your life, it'll make you happy, it does. But you'll be most miserable if you think it's for this life only, Paul says. You need to come to Jesus Christ knowing Jesus Christ is not for this life. Jesus Christ is for the life to come. Amen. The main purpose for Jesus Christ is not to make me a little, to make this pigsty any better. The main purpose of Jesus Christ is to give me a place in heaven and to take me away from hell. Jesus Christ died for our sins to keep us out of hell. It goes back to this brother and sister and their, their family singing that song. Praise God, I'm not going to hell. <laughs> you're saved. When you say saved, what does that mean? It's not you're saved to, it's you're saved from. Amen. And the point is, is if you're a miserable Christian, you're forgetting that you're, you're forgetting that you've got your price paid, you've got your place waiting for you in heaven, and no matter what happens to you, you're going to heaven. That's, you got the parachute. And if you're riding on this plane, of this, if this world is a plane, and you're riding on it, and Jesus Christ is just here to help you prosper, and help you get through life, and help your life to be happy, you're going to find it disappointing. You're going to find it disappointing. But if you've got Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, knowing that He saved you, and that you, He's the only way you're getting off this plane safe, you're going to cling on to him like that's it. Amen. You're miserable because you're forgetting what Jesus Christ is there for. Jesus Christ is not your ATM. Jesus Christ is not something that whenever you need help, then you go up to the bank, you pull you, okay, thank you, Lord, and then, uh, and then you just ignore him until you need something else. And Thank you, Lord. Jesus Christ is not your spare tire. Jesus Christ is not made to be put in the trunk and then whenever you have a blowout in life, okay, well, I guess it's time for me to get out Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is your parachute. Amen. This world is going to burn. I just preached it last Sunday. It's going up in flames. All of it. Whoosh. Amen. Now, if you have Jesus Christ, you're not miserable this morning because you know where you're going to be. If you don't have Jesus Christ, you're going to feel miserable this morning because you know my time is coming, judgment's coming. What am I going to do? Well, you're going to do nothing but stand there and get thrown into hell. You can't stand in a righteous judgment to God. You need something. 
Let me close out real quick by saying this. I'm close out by saying this. If Jesus, is, knowing this, using that, and that's a great illustration Ray Comfort has about trying to win people to Jesus Christ by showing them that they're going to go to hell. If you're on that plane and you've got the parachute, which is Jesus Christ, and you know that's the only thing that's going to save you, and you had some loved ones on that plane, how important it would, how important it would it be to you to make sure they have a parachute too? You can't share a parachute. Amen? Amen? We can't share parachutes. You need to get your own parachute. If you knew you were on an airplane flying somewhere and the stewardess came home and said, hey, this plane's about to go down. Here's a parachute. Uh, you're going to need it. Wouldn't you turn to your loved one, your wife or your husband or your kids and say, hey, we need to get you a parachute too. Hey, bring them over here a parachute. And if they rejected the parachute and said, oh, that's stupid, Dad. This plane's not going to go down. You think you'd say, okay, well, I guess you'll find out. I think not. Amen. You would do everything you could to convince them, badger them, offend them. You want them to be saved. Why are we giving up so quick on some of our loved ones? Amen. Some of our friends at work. Let's not give up on them. Guys, in truth, in reality, this plane of the world is going down. Amen. Most of y'all would agree, amen? This world is going down. It's going down in flames. And we need a parachute in Jesus Christ, guys. We need to be out every chance we get trying to give people the parachute. Because they're going to go down with it unless they have that parachute. You need to be saved. And if you're miserable in, the, in here this morning, you need Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian and you're miserable, you need to remember, he's not just for this life. Why is, why, why is Sister Colleen so happy? Because see, she sees death. Death has came into her room and said, I'm about to take you. And she has Jesus Christ sitting next to her already, and she says, it'll be all right. This guy's going to take care of me. She's not in there alone. When death came through her door, she was already sitting with Jesus Christ. And she wasn't worried about it. That's why she can smile. That's why she's not miserable. Well, she's about to die. She thinks there's a good chance she's going to die. She's not worried. I mean, she's got Jesus Christ. Death can't scare her. When I went through my miserable time, and I was in misery, I mean, I was in complete misery. As a Christian, I had a dear brother in Christ call me up, and we were talking. And he said, Keegan, I can't tell you what's going on. I can't tell you what to do. He said, but I can tell you this. I can give you this simple advice, and I'm going to give you his advice that he gave me. This was his advice to me. Keegan, you need to fall back in love with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're in here this morning, and you just have forgotten your first love. Maybe you've forgotten that, hey, you know, I've started, I started loving this world just a little too much. I started loving some things more than God. I need to fall back in love with Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you remember when you had the love in Jesus Christ where you could get up here and sing like one of them kids? Yeah. Amen. You remember that? Are we so old that we forgot that? Get up there and just sing with all your heart. Didn't care if anybody was laughing. Didn't care if anybody was watching. Didn't care what anybody thought. You just sung to Jesus Christ. Amen. That's why that was such a blessing to me.
hey, there's still some people out there that love Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your mercy. Father, if there's somebody in the sound of my voice that's miserable, Lord God, Father, I just pray, Lord God, you speak to the heart right now. Father, come in, show them that you love them, that you're going to rebuke them, Lord God, because you love them, and that you're going to chastise them because you love them. But Lord, that if they don't know you as their Lord and Savior, Father, you're knocking on their door right now. And all they need to simply do is to open up the door and let you in, Lord God. Let you come in and save them. Make them born again, Father. Thank you for your precious blood you shed on the cross. Thank you for your words, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, that as we walk through this world, Lord God, there's so many different things that can make us miserable, Lord God. But we got your eyes on you. And we thank you, thank you, thank you for a place called heaven and having us a reserved place up there waiting for us. Thank you for your mansions up there. Lord, and I thank you above all thankfulness, Lord God, that my mom was saved and is up there with you right now, Lord. My, my friends are saved that have gone on. My, my church loved ones, Lord God, Mike Martin and Brother Raymond Music, all these loved ones have gone on before me, Lord. They're up there waiting on me, Lord, and I can't wait to get up there and to see them and to see you. Thank you for saving me, Lord God, when I don't deserve it. And I'm praying all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you'd go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3, verse 16, and most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now it's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world, but verse 17 and 18 he went on to say something interesting for god sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved so the whole reason jesus christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you but in verse 18 he says something that's amazing he says that he that believeth on him is not condemned he's stressing a faith it's putting your faith into jesus christ but he says there in verse 18 but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it and if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. 
Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13 he sums it up, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him.